You're listening to Extra Textual. On this episode, we bring you our series of conversations with filmmakers that we're excited about and that inspire us. Thanks for listening. On this episode, I talk with independent filmmaker Joshua Russell. He is a writer, producer, and director, and is currently wrapping up post-production on his second feature film, Absolution. I was really excited to talk to Russell since he is an educator himself. He is an assistant professor of screenwriting and the film and television program coordinator in the School of Stage and Screen at Western Carolina University. He has also served as a multi-year tenure as a judge in the Religion and Ethics Division of the U.S. International Film and Video Festival. I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Joshua has a lot of great insight into the filmmaking process and the waves being made with all of the sexual scandals in the political and entertainment spheres. We're going to jump right into our conversation. I'm a fiction writer, although I haven't been doing that as much lately, but I'm part of a uh, pseudonym, NJ Tanger, and we're in the middle of a uh, five-book science fiction series. We're through book three, and we're into book four. Oh, cool. And, And that's done pretty well on Amazon. It's gotten quite a bit of traction, and so we've been interviewed for that. And uh huh. Um, and then I, I've been interviewed here and there when I, when I come out with a film, you know, so. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of love this medium for, uh, people being able to talk, you know, wherever they are. Um, it's so great. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. And just kind of, I love just kind of people talking and telling stories. I think, uh, it yeah. sounds like you're a storyteller, so it's kind of great yeah. to just hear that side of things. Yeah, uh-huh. one of the classes that I developed for for Western when I when I got here uh, was it's called Storytelling Through Sound, mm-hmm. and it's making short films with no camera. Oh, okay. So, you know, so yeah. it's, it's sort of like very much like a Radio Lab sort of This American Life, you know, podcasty oriented, you know, um, way of approaching audio and helping students, of course, fall in love with all of the power that you have with audio that is often overlooked mm-hmm. by filmmakers, you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun to be able to explore more of that informally, but yeah. Yeah. It's a great, um, great way to kind of have people learn is to focus in on each of those elements. I think, uh, yep. get as much experience yep. with yep. that. So yeah, speaking of that, like you talking about where you're teaching and stuff now, um, how did you get into like making films and what drew you to filmmaking originally? Yep. So I think, you know, for me, uh, I would be just as curious to hear your story too. For yeah. me, I think my, my grandfather, he um, was a big influence. He was a photographer. He made a, mm-hmm. like a couple documentaries and things like that when he was younger. And he was a very powerful influence in my early life that was one component of it. Okay. I think I was always, now that I'm older and I'm looking back, I'm starting to like maybe come to different, slightly different conclusions as to like what really drew me to filmmaking. I think that there's a certain type of person whose voice uh, is just best articulated through certain creative uh, techniques. Mm -hmm. For some people, for some people it's sculpture, for some people it's, 
you know, oil painting for some people, it's music for some people, it's fiction, whatever. I think that there are some people who they articulate, you know, I'm going to kind of quote Jordan Peterson here. They yeah. articulate their, their unarticulated knowledge best mm. mm -hmm. through, you know, using the, the, the filmmaker's tools. It's, it's I, the way that I talk to my students about it is that filmmaking is a language just like English or French or Spanish. Yeah. And you have, you have to learn the language really well in order to write poetry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what we're doing. We're learning yeah. all of the language first, which are like the, the proficiencies, the craft proficiencies involved in filmmaking, which there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And then we're practicing writing the poetry. And, and for some people, I think it's like when you actually get to that point where you get to start to practice and actually be are pretty proficient with you know the different crafts suddenly they are becoming a version of themselves that they've always had in their mind's eye like you know not sort of in other people's eyes but like they're actually articulating things that are present with them that they have not yet been able to articulate and it's so i don't know there's something almost spiritual about that process and i think that some people are just drawn to it mm -hmm. and they find it and they stick with it long enough and then they start to do it and they're like yes this is this was everything that i thought it was going to be and i was one of those people you know so yeah yeah that's really interesting i uh i see where you're coming from i mean mentioning like poetry or something i love sort of seeing the poetry in film and trying to yeah. sort of capture that. And I think that is kind of what drew me to film as a medium, cinema, is that, you know, some people can do that through words with poetry or, you know, painting or still images. But for me, it was like right. capturing the closest thing to the real world um, with sound and image and text even and uh, trying to sort of capture that inexpressible thing. Um, yeah, and, and right. con convey that to the audience and let them sort of interpret it, you know, or, or uh, you know, sort of understand it in their own way, um, which I think it, right. it has a unique. There's power a bit of a gift, and right, I think I, the, I, I like to think of 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 the, um, you know, there's this idea I guess that I have that there that that's about it's ultimately about honesty like mm. you're trying to be more honest than you've ever been before you're trying to dig deep into your subconscious or semi-subconscious area mm -hmm. or territory to find something that is more you're trying to express an idea of truth that is more accurate than you've ever expressed before mm. and it's more honest and and, it's, and and when you do what happens is you're you're displaced yeah, you're no you're no longer in control. You're no longer the archer. You you become an audience member when mm -hmm. you, when you actually land it. Yeah, you become an audience member, and and it's like you're looking at something that is like, you know, it's a gestalt. It's the mm -hmm. parts are the parts are uh, the whole is greater than all the parts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're watching it, and you become an audience member, and I think that there's some unholy. Uh, thing that happens when you when you try to go back in and make 
when you try to go back in and say, well, I'm going to do things different and fix this and change this, mm. which is why so many people were mad at George Lucas when he revised <laughs> the original Star right, Wars, because service, it was yeah. like, dude, that's, you're, that's become sacred and it displaced you as, right. as the, as the Artur and you've become an audience member. And in, mm-hmm. in a way you're violating our humanity by going around and, and, you know, sticking your wrench and your screwdriver in that, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I always love that sort of duality in filmmaking too that you know we try to say like we are capturing this honest moment you know in the in the most realistic way that we can possibly but you know there's always that element of this subjective point of view that's coming across and i think that's what's great about both sides of it is that Mm -hmm. there is uh those two sides of things uh between what's happening uh and and i think that's true to life as well like being oh, honest yeah. to the way we present yeah. ourselves in real life. Uh, yeah, totally. Is, we're yeah, not yeah, always yeah. being honest either. So no. Yeah. Yeah. I've come to believe that honesty is a, it's a discovery, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and you're right. I mean, there is, there's these, you know, there's a small truth that is your subjective reality. And then there's sort of like a, a larger truth that is maybe the collective reality, you know, and mm-hmm. I think the filmmaker is always trying to touch the collective reality, but through the subjective reality, right? Yeah, so yeah. Th- th- what happens is that great duality that you just described, where it's like the universal human experience is displayed in all of its glory. And all of us have this really similar emotional, intellectual experience. But each one of us would ultimately deconstruct exactly what that means in 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 slightly different ways yeah you know? mm-hmm. true true yeah um yeah we're really just digging right into things here which is good <laughs> um so uh what would you say like were your early experiences like with filmmaking did you do it as a kid um when you were in school or was this something that you started doing later no i did it from a really early age i i i think that the very first occupation that I was really deeply committed to pursuing was being a, a part-time cowboy and a part-time Native American. <laughs> nice. <Okay. laughs> I couldn't decide whether it was better to like shoot a like you know a pistol or call, crawl through the grass with a knife in my mouth. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You know, both both of those sounded pretty amazing but after right. that it was I wanted to be a fine artist and so I don't know <laughs> this was like four or five years old you know. Right. right. Uh, Where and then I was obsessed with you know, drawing and, and, uh, you know, fine art. So my grandpa got this, this video camera and he had this like belief that he had almost like a moral obligation to let the children or or grandchildren, um, explore things, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, and, and to find the thing that really was sort of their purpose, so to speak, or the thing that really engaged them and, and brought life into them. And, and, you know, in retrospect, my God, I so admire that because I mean, the camera at the time was a very expensive piece of equipment. You know, yeah. it's an old VHS video camera, but it was really expensive. Um, mm-hmm. And he would let me, as an eight-year-old, run around his you know apartment complex with that video camera, um, making the worst movies you could possibly imagine <laughs> you could not even watch without getting nauseous i mean they were so bad right yeah <laughs> but yeah. i just kept going back to it again and again and again and then my parents uh i they decided that uh, 
they should get one and they did and then i it never left my side and i <laughs> have been making films you know ever since so what sort of things did you watch that influenced you as a kid or you know uh maybe when you were studying film or anything like that yeah as a kid you know i have this this memory of watching i think probably the first back to the future and mm -hmm. just something about this the aesthetic mm. it felt kind of ma magical you know and i think we all have that experience when we're young with movies you know and i was just yeah. like so captivated and drawn up and i was like this is the art form for me you know? <laughs> And I, I, I grew up in the Star Wars, you know, era, but I, 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 you know, it's sacrilegious to say that I never was as enthralled for some reason. Mm. I, I, I was interested in them a bit, but yeah. the, the, the way that people think about and treat Star Wars films now is foreign to me. I'm not, mm. I, I kind of like, it was magical to some degree at the time, but it was never at the core of what I was drawn to and and now I appreciate them sort of on the periphery um, sure you know and I think that the newer ones are like you know I don't know they're just kind of like kind of like nah you know I don't know it's <laughs> like I, you know it's like well you know where this is it's Star Wars that's why it's it's its own myth is carrying it forward it's yep. not anything invented in the narrative or in the cinematic technique anymore. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's become a cultural phenomenon that people don't even know why they love it so much. Yeah. It's like, just trying to recapture that, uh, that original yeah. magic that it held for people. Um, there's so yeah. many other films out there that are so much better in terms of, you know, narrative technique and, and, mm -hmm. and cinematic technique, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I, it's just, it, to me, it's a little bit like, you have to say that you love the Beatles. You have to say <laughs> that you love Elvis. Well, I don't like the Beatles and I don't like Elvis. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. you know, I'm going to be that sacrilegious yeah. guy. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, I see that the value of it, but it, it's not that amazing. Like when you really dig deep into to cinema, there's not anything being done in the newer films that are mm. Revolutionary, revolutionary or profoundly compelling or transcendent or reaching out and grabbing a hold of the new minutes you know yeah so. yeah yeah i mean i think robert zemeckis did have this way of capturing like uh people's imagination during that period right some of those films and i yeah i remember back to the future being a pretty big deal for me and i've heard more of that more recently that people were really influenced by that i remember i got like a advanced copy of the second back to the future which you know is not as good but uh <laughs> right right um, somebody's friend worked at like a video store or something and so i just felt very important that i had seen the second one before anybody else <laughs> um <laughs> that was, that was awesome. a few you know like a week of being very important to my friends right. uh, yeah. that's so true that's funny that's exactly what it was like but yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. What kind did you study film when you were in school, or was this more? No, I I did my undergrad. I I studied Western civilization, like Western history, and mm -hmm. I studied English. So it's an English okay. history double major, and I did that pretty intentionally because at the time I was in an apprenticeship that was like ten years long, really. Mm. Um, it was a little bit intermittent at times in which, you know, I'd have to stop for a stretch and then come back to it. But 
Um, I had a, a mentor, you know, very mm-hmm. consistently over 10 years. And so I was getting very, very well trained in narrative okay. and was a, did a very deep dive and was, you know, moving very quickly on that path. And I felt like I needed a liberal arts education in order to, you know, in order to build paradigms and to have sort of the context historically and in terms mm. of, you know, you know, in terms of understanding humanity on a more sophisticated level in order to be able to have a, have a clear voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I studied history and English. And I, I think that there was a lot of maturity in that decision, although I, I, do, I do at times question as to whether it would have been better to go to film school for undergrad as well as grad. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, film's one of those unique things. I think if you can get the, like, on-hands experience of it, um, it's not necessarily something that you have to be, go to school for, you know? Uh, I think that's, especially programs that can give you that hands-on experience are really great, but you don't have to be in school to do that, and it's probably going to cost you a lot more money to to get that experience through a school. Right, right. Um, I I think that that's true to some degree. I think that... I think that like if you are Steven Spielberg and you can sneak onto sets and, you know, <laughs> and, and sort of really be doing it all the time and yep. learn all of the different craft proficiencies and the union will look the other way and kind of let the, the kid play and mm-hmm. train him up, you know, mm-hmm. you'll learn all the craft proficiencies. But there's another, there's an, there are, you know, there's another sort of aspect. The, there's like the below the line, the way I think of it is there's mm-hmm. like the below the line which is very technical, it's very craft oriented. So yeah. The above, the above the line is like, it's a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being a producer or, or a, a screenwriter, you know, you don't think of a screenwriter as above the line, but it's sort of in that, you know, world of sort of development and pre-production. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and then, or a director, I mean, these skills are very hard to learn. Yeah. Um, very, very, very hard to learn. And you have to practice a lot, like driving, driving the Formula One car in a real race. You have to practice doing that, you know? Right. And it's very risky. It costs a ton of money, right? And there are mm-hmm. very few places in the world, unless you're born rich, there are very few places in the world in which you're going to be able to do that except film school. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's the reality of it. And film... Like my students, for example, we we screen we screen the applicants to like we're an application only BFA program, so we screen mm. our, our applicants to make sure that they like really thrive in a group setting and enjoy working for somebody almost mm. as much as they enjoy having people work for them. Mm. They they appreciate that symbiotic quality because if you don't develop a team, yeah, right, that in which you're serving them and they're serving you forget it. You are not going to make it, you know, it's, it's, and, and that's that, where are you going to go in the world to find a group of people who are going to be fully committed to working with you on a dozen projects and have the time and, you know, money and emotional bandwidth to be able to make that kind of a commitment, you know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't exist outside of film school. So I think that there's a rare few people out there who have the money or are born into the right um, social circles that that can avoid film school, but there's not a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I think you're you're pointing at some great things there. I think one of the, some of the best skills that I learned uh, in school and working on projects and and especially teaching. And I'd like to hear more about your experience, how you approach teaching. But I think building the skills of being uh, a team player. Um, you know, if you want to be like the d- director or producer or whatever, like you have to treat people well and make it a yeah. good experience. And yeah. you have to plan a lot. You know, it's not yeah. just going to sort of happen in the moment. Uh, as much right. as we, you know, as like consider ourselves artists and think that that is going to happen, it's it's not. <laughs> most part. Yeah, um, exactly. It takes, it takes so much planning and foresight to see how things turn out well and be prepared in the moment to improvise if you need to. But right. I think right. we had another guest on who was David Lynch's personal assistant for a few years. Yep. And um, cool. I, I asked him, you know, to give me some advice or like wisdom that he gained from David Lynch. And I was expecting, you know, something really deep or you know, <laughs> philosophical. And he said like, He's he's really like plans ahead and he's ready to go when he's on set and I learned a lot. <laughs> I was like, okay, very practical, <laughs> yeah, very practical. But yeah, I think that does make a big difference when you're working with a group of people and even things like feeding your crew well when you're working on small indie films. You, you know what? That's people, one yeah. of our that's one of our program values is good food. Good food, yeah, yeah, means a lot. <laughs> it was like you know. Fortitude, creativity, compassion, like all these virtues, and then uh-huh. you have good food. Good food, yeah. <laughs> it's like feed your crew well. You yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're going to be much happier. Yeah. So what other things would you say like are important to you in, in how you approach teaching filmmaking? Or I know you teach um, screenwriting as well, right? Um, yes. And so what do you think is important kind of bringing to... Uh, students or kind of instilling in people. Well, that's a big question. yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good question. And I think that you are so spot on in your, you know, the whole prepare, 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 prepare. And mm-hmm. what I, when I have found, and this is, you know, in large part, thanks to my brother, who's a process engineer. Okay. Is that the preparation is actually, you're actually creating bandwidth on the day of production for Mm. you to be able to make adaptations and have creative discoveries Mm -hmm. by over preparing so everybody knows what the shop list is and everybody knows what (laughs) all the locations are and everybody knows what where the lights are going to go and you've done pre-light and everybody then there's not a million questions in trying to solve problems when you get to the set on the day everybody's like boop, 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 right right so you get it all set up and you get you know your 25 shots down and you're an hour early and you discover hey you know what we didn't realize it but we're getting this really wicked cool rim light on you and there's mm. this amazing little background right now let's just steal this one little shot and of course that ends up being the shot right right shot right of course like Wow. How'd you get that? That's such a great shot. You know, how'd you even plan for that? You know, it's like, well, we didn't plan for it directly. We planned for it indirectly by sort of creating bandwidth for us to be able to have creative moments or, you know, spontaneous discoveries on the set, you know, so, Mm -hmm. but, um, that's one thing that I teach, by the way, is, um, process management. So like line producing and production management. And I'm a very big believer that, preparation, you know, and I'm just just 
yeah, I'm very like my office is not terribly organized, right? Like, <laughs> I, I I like to, I like to be kind of messy. Yeah. But like I've learned through like blood, sweat, and tears that holy cow, it is so worth that organization up front, and people are so much happier. And you know, you know, the quality goes up so much when you can really plan well. So mm-hmm. that is one thing that I teach. But in terms of like my sort of philosophy and the way that I approach things in general, first I found that teaching is for me a way of learning. Mm. Like that's a really big thing. Like there's this really symbiotic relationship between doing it and talking about it, you know? Yeah. And in a formal setting where you have to articulate assumptions that were previously unchecked or mm. un, you know, un, uncriticized. Yeah. Uh, I've cleaned up so much in my approach because of the classroom forcing me to like sort of prove my presuppositions to be Mm. true and, and articulate my presuppositions, you know, Uh around, around the process. But the one thing that I start with that I think is like the most overlooked thing in all of cinema is comes from antiquity and, you know, the, the father of logos, Heracles. Yeah. fifth century BC, he said, change is the only constant in the universe, Hmm. you know? And, and, and I think that like the very first thing that you must accept to even begin to think about filmmaking, whether it's production as a line producer or whether it's narrative as screenwriter or whether it's like, you know, the day of production as the director, the Mm -hmm. one thing that you need to account for and, and keep in mind is that the only constant in the universe is, is conflict or change, you know, yeah, Con- yeah. conflict through uh, change through conflict. There's always, always conflict in the universe, creating change hundred percent of the time. And so when you apply this to, to narrative, what you realize that you quickly discover that the thing that we're watching in narrative is actually change. We're watching a mm. character change, mm-hmm. you know, and that's yeah. why TV is, that's why TV's gotten so good. And, and, and I'll toot my own horn real quick because mm-hmm. when I was at Columbia, when I was first articulating my philosophy, yeah. I said, if TV ever catches on to what I call arc theory, the mm-hmm. idea that like character arc creates story structure, yeah. if, if TV ever catches on, it will whoop film. Like mm-hmm. it will just completely destroy film. because it's such a more, there's so much more bandwidth in television. You can have season after season after season, and there's an infinite number of ways that characters can change and, 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 and themes can be proven and then revised and changed. And I mean, there's just an infinite number of ways that we can change, you know? And so what we're seeing now is we're seeing five seasons of a character going, you know, descending into the depths of hell, like Walter White and becoming the devil himself, you know? Right. And it's like, whoa, you can't stop watching each season. He's just going deeper and deeper and deeper, you know? It's like watching a, a slow train wreck. You can't not watch, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, stuff. I totally agree. Like, I was always more of, like, a film person was the thing. And then didn't have cable or anything for quite a a bit of my adult life and then you know the last few years i'm like man tv is getting so good like so many people talk about but it's exactly what you're saying after seasons with these characters i feel like i know them so well like they're my friends or like i care about them i just 
it's really hard to get that experience in a film because you just don't have that much time with them uh, right. to develop it. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, really that's true, what yeah. it is. And but I think before like what's happening, like sort of the new Hollywood of TV is I think like the phase we're in right now. Before mm -hmm. that exploded, which you could say it was like maybe The Sopranos or maybe maybe it was Breaking Bad that kind of was the trigger. But right before that, the 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 rule of the day was that you had to keep your characters from changing. Right? It was sort of <laughs> yeah, because you got to keep the, the show sitcom. going, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a sitcom yeah. model, right? You yeah. know, you gotta you gotta find the characters and keep them from changing. And every episode, they have conflict and they act really stupid and do stupid stuff. And we mm -hmm. laugh at it and they laugh at it. And then we start the next episode with them being stupid in the same exact way and rediscovering right. how stupid they are. You know, and you gotta keep you gotta keep on rewinding that character in order to in order to get that same little mini arc that you mm -hmm. have every twenty two minute episode. And I think the big discovery was, hey, wait a minute. Like we can just do five seasons, you know. Vince Gilligan right. was like, "We're not doing. We are not going to milk this for as much as we can milk. We're going to do this many seasons, and yeah. that's." And he knew he's like, "Walter White's going to become the devil, and once I get him all the way into the pit of hell, he's yeah. got nowhere else to go. He has completed his arc. The show must end." He's yeah, hundred percent right, and that's why it works so well, you know. But TV has the ability to do that, where we can you know some mm -hmm. films and i think a lot of the best films out there tend to be like two and a half to three hours long because it's a little bit you just need a little bit more space to get that super dramatic character arc that we see in characters like you know oscar schindler and schindler's list or, right you know um whatever you know mm -hmm. yeah i think that's really true uh i, d I don't mind as good as it as as long as it's good filmmaking that if it lasts a little bit longer and i have to be patient uh, the experience is gonna reward us, I think, if it goes a little bit longer. Yeah, if the character has a if the character has a nice dramatic arc, you know, if it's Lawrence of Arabia, or you know, mm -hmm. if there's like you know, if it's Ma if it's Magnolia and all these characters like you know, sort of meet God through a biblical plague and find forgiveness on the other end. Like if there's really dramatic arcs on the other end of that three and a half hour film, we'll, our butts will stay in the seats. But if it's just more explosions and bigger, you know, <laughs> robots that turn right. into cars and stuff, then forget it. You know, it's super boring. Yeah, for sure. So, so that being said, let's dig into some of your work uh, a little bit and, and kind of talk through some of that. So um, at least some of the things like I was able to get familiar with a little bit is uh, your short film, OMG. And it kind of, to me, explores the different ways that people can use some of these common phrases. And it, it's certainly about other things. But so the characters all use uh, oh my God expression for different purposes and with different connotations. And right. I liked how the film fluctuated between sort of this funny and heartbreaking and it did it on a turn of a dime sometimes. So just kind of talk about maybe like where did this story come from? Was it something you observed about people or some experience you had? Um, well, actually what happened was I was at Sundance and I was watching the Sundance shorts and this mm -hmm. is, I don't know, 2013 probably or no, no, it was before that. It was like okay. 2008 or 2009. Yeah. And I was watching the shorts, which are always great. They're always mm -hmm. so good. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that there was a pattern in the shorts and, they were all sort of like attempting to do this where they would build a scenario in which the positive and negative fluctuations in the film could swing wildly and really quickly without breaking the character, mm. you know, because 
in order to do that, usually you're tempted as a writer to like make the character behave in ways that are unrealistic and not believable and just not real. You know? Yeah. Um, and I call it breaking the character. Well, they were very careful to design the film so that there were these fluctuations that could happen in a believable way without breaking the character. And when it mm. happens and you're on the hook, you're just like, whoa, you're getting, it's like yeah. you're getting swung around, you know, and, and, and it's, it's emotionally just a, it's a wonderful experience. It's, mm -hmm. it's like what you remember watching films when you're young is just having no sense of control. You know, you don't know what's going to happen and you're just on this wild roller coaster, you know? Right. And yeah. so I, I saw that structure and I attempted to build it. I had an idea and I had the idea like 90% done for a year and I couldn't figure mm. out this last little piece. And then one day I was like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's it. So I that's got like, it and yeah. I wrote the script. And then, uh, and I, at the time I had a, a financer and he, you know, basically wrote a check and we made the film and, you know, and it, and it worked and, and, and we, you know, the other aspect to it of, Oh my God, of all the characters, all the on-screen dialogue is, Oh my God. And, and the whole, the whole intent there is really, I, so basically there's two things that I think that every, every film needs. It's catharsis mm. and, and meaning. Mm. So catharsis is the roller coaster and it's like the, you know, it's, it's letting out this emotional energy and yeah. that's that roller coaster. You know, but if the film ends and you've let out emotional energy, but you don't get meaning, you actually feel manipulated and you mm -hmm. feel kind of pissed off actually. yeah yeah but if you get to the end and you've let out these emotions and then there's a meaning mm -hmm. then it's like you've had this catharsis and there's a meaning behind it and a purpose to it and you feel different you feel changed you feel like a more human you know yeah afterwards and that is like the appropriate form of the, of the story at least according to humans you know and mm -hmm. and so um the oh my god was it was basically a deconstruction of sort of this violation of the sacred in mm. the sense that like we we use the phrase in such a sort of you know and this is going to sound so pious but like <laughs> i say oh my god all the time so don't yeah. get me wrong but we yeah. use it in such a flippant and sort of disrespectful sort of a way. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get to the point where we discovered like, like what is the most transcendent meaning of this phrase? Like what, right. what does this phrase mean in its mm -hmm. like most pure and uplifted form? Like right. to say, Oh my God, you know, I'm right. looking, like to see God, what does that look like? And the irony of how we use it, which is a completely self-absorbed, you know, flippant, you know, mm -hmm. uh, disrespectful sort of a way. So that, that, that arc of the audience discovering, you know, sort of the, the, this, this uplifted version of that phrase versus like the flippant disrespectful version mimics the arc of the character. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, uh, yeah. I was just saying yeah. like the title OMG, I think, uh, expresses that most flippant way of you know expressing that which like it totally loses all meaning it's just like an expression you know right. of some yeah, some totally. emotion yeah. but like we totally lose what's what's behind it 
is really interesting. And I like what you were saying about catharsis and meaning. I feel like in the maybe like early 2000s, there was this trend of more like smaller indie films that were just yep. very dark and followed people's sort of experiences going through all these hard things. And I felt like I was supposed to feel something very strong or get meaning from this, but there it wasn't really like there. It was just like right. people's right. horrible experiences. So like that just leaves me like down. And uh, yeah, so so not yeah, that like, it has to like, have like a message, but yeah, like yeah. like I think Breakdown was a film. Mm. Um, maybe maybe that was in that category, but it's yeah. uh, I'm trying to it's with. Uh, uh, is that Kirk the Kirk Douglas, Russell? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, Kirk Douglas. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Kirk Douglas, and then and he's like just like it's like the guy's day disintegrates, and you know he mm -hmm. goes nuts, kind of, and and life is shit, you know. Right. And it, exactly. and it yeah. just doesn't it doesn't land in any you know transcendent meaningful mm -hmm. territory, and so you are glued to the screen watching it happen, but you get to the end and you just feel like wow that 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 was kind of, I just kind of got violated, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't I don't always subscribe to this idea of like, well, life doesn't always have clear meaning, you know, like it doesn't always wrap up nicely. But I think whenever we sort of look back on our lives, even like, you know, if you look back on your last year of your life, you discover things you learned and found meaning through some of those, even if you didn't see it at the time. So right. I kind of dismiss that. Idea. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe the meaning isn't coming from a transcendent higher authority, who knows, but we create meaning as human beings in our mm -hmm. brain and without creating that meaning, we have like we lose the very essence of our humanity. So, avoiding yeah. it is is an exercise in futility, you know. Mhm. Mm yeah. Cool. So you you got a pretty good response from that film it sounds like. Did you play that at Oh yeah, yeah. OMG. Oh yeah, yeah. OMG. I did some, it, it, I, I didn't put it into as many as I should have, you know, um, mm -hmm. I was kind of just a bit, very busy time of my life, but, but yeah. it did. And I, and I, I had the first experience of my life, you know, my first film fancy pants, I, it was kind of a, a mess to, in my mind. Uh, it, mm. it's, it's a film, you know, my kids love yeah. the film and it's, <laughs> and it's made, it's made for kids, you know, so it's yeah. okay. But um, but OMG was the first film that like it was in this small festival in Sycamore, Illinois, um, and it's a really nice festival actually. They like put up all their filmmakers in hotels and they take good care of them. And and uh, and I was at this festival and I was in the theater when it played. And there's like you know probably 150 people in the theater. And Megan and I, my wife, were sitting in the in the back of the theater, and we're watching it and like you know how you can like kind of sometimes you can feel an audience yeah like when yeah, everybody's sure. really into uh like a movie it's like everybody is riding this emotional wave with you and they go up together and they go down together and mm -hmm. you know and and you can hear people's breaths sometimes or you can they'll make like you know they're not realizing that they're actually like making sounds because they're so into the film you know and and so that was started to happen and i mm. couldn't believe it i was like it was, it was like the this is working yeah. of everything i'd work for yeah exactly right, right. it was this amazing moment and right at the end you know uh when i guess I, I won't give away the spoiler but right at the end when there's like this massive twist in the film mm -hmm. um 
this woman in, in behind me at the very back in, in this all dark theater screams out, oh my God, like just, <laughs> you know, totally involuntary. It was like perfect. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. It was just like, it came out and the whole entire place erupted into cheers and started clapping, you know? And it was just like, wow, like that just made my next five years, you know, like that's the moment <laughs> that every filmmaker tries to hit, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's like great. that moment, you know, and it was just like the experience of the audience and the discovery of the filmmaker like landed together in that room. Mm. And it was pretty cool. So, yeah, I think it's always fun to like with a new audience watching your film. And then you also find spots where like, huh, I didn't know they would laugh as much at that. Or, know, <laughs> you know, right, they would react right. so much in that moment. I expected it right, in this right. moment, um, which is right. kind of fun right, if it right. works out well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so true. So some of your other films, like uh, Future Works, so you mentioned like Fancy Pants. How did that film come about? Were you interested in professional wrestling uh, or new people in that community before that? No, not really. I you know what happened. I guess it was like I had my cousins growing up lived in Keokuk, Iowa. Mm -hmm. And we would go there every Easter and visit them. And they were big, like, WWF wrestling fans and yeah. so I I would always watch Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper and you know guys like that with them mm -hmm. and they always like love to pretend to be wrestlers and jump off of the bed and clothesline yeah. the neck and stuff you know and they were kind of bigger guys and they were kind of like you know very rural and and mm -hmm. I don't know there's something about the idea a professional wrestler who was was a, was an expert at faking conflict, but was afraid of conflict in real life. <laughs> I just yeah. loved it. I just loved it. And I, that mixed with my childhood memories of these like really colorful, like performer entertainers who are faking stuff, but mm -hmm. were really tough guys at the same time. Like really tough guys mm -hmm. who were like fake fighting, you know, you know, but like not real fighting because like they're kind of afraid of conflict in real life. You know? and, <laughs> right. and I what I what I discovered was, of course, that these professional wrestlers are like unbelievably tough dudes, like yeah. crazy tough dudes. You know, yeah. like Roddy Piper. Oh my God! Like meeting him and 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 hearing his stories, I'm like, wow. Like if I knew now what I you know if I knew then what I know now, um, you know, I probably would have made a very different film, but. I was fascinated <laughs> sure. with just the, the irony of that character archetype. And, and I, and I was at the point where I was ready to make my first feature film. So it was mm -hmm. kind of like, it was the idea that I was passionate enough about to push really hard on and get made. So, yeah, I'm always interested in like sort of the nitty gritty of the process too. So kind of talking about your, your latest uh, feature film absolution and you're kind of finishing that up right now. Right right yeah process, it's, we're yeah. literally just finishing up the credits and yeah submitting the festivals yeah um so with those like feature films can you talk a little bit about how long it maybe took you to develop them write the screenplays get them in production um some of your process mm -hmm. there yeah well different lengths of time depending on the project but absolution mm -hmm. was a project that um my one of my friends slash financiers uh was like hey i've got this amount of money and you can have it to make 
this film, you know, and it was like, I had this idea of trying to make a film in Montana in a, you know, in, in like a low budget. I'd lived in Montana for a while and, and I wanted to shoot like okay. 90% outdoors to have all the natural light and to move faster. And I had this technique that I wanted to try, which only worked half, half of, half of what I expected worked and half was a mess. Yeah, that's pretty normal. Yeah, exactly. So, um, that script got written relatively quickly, at least the first draft. And I really just knew that I wanted to take a pastor out into the woods and torture him and see what came <laughs> out. Like that was, okay. that was really where that started, you know? Yeah. And I was like deconstructing a lot of dogma at that time in my life. And so I was like, mm. there's a, there's a little, there was a very ruthless person inside of me at that time based mm. around that idea. And, yeah. and so and I was kind of, I was pretty aware of that. And so I wrote the first draft, but it, it dealt with, you know, homosexuality and faith. And, and uh, I took it to some of my gay friends and they mm-hmm. just completely shredded it to a million tiny little pieces, <laughs> you know, and then, yeah. and then, and then me, my, my co-writer and I, um, Matt Perry, okay, co-story writer, Matt Perry uh-huh. and I had done this. And then we put, took it back to the drawing board and, um, kept working at it for another three, four months until we got it to the point that everyone who read it was sort of silenced by it, if you will. Mm. Like they weren't, they didn't have this reaction to shred. They, they were sort of stalemated, you mm. know? Interesting. Yeah. Um, and it stalemated, it, it's, yeah, it stalemated me too, like theologically, mm. you know? Yeah. It got me to a point where I was displaced from being sort of like, dogmatic you know about Mm -hmm. about the topic and and i felt like that was like we land like i was like this is this is it and i think that for the most part that was the right conclusion so then that took probably i don't know probably it took like a year probably all told to get to pretty much the shooting draft and then yeah and then we filmed it i wish we had more pre-production time especially because we were shooting in in montana and crew was out of chicago so that those logistics made it tough you know yeah that's right yeah yeah i was gonna ask you about like shooting outdoors i try to do that a lot for the natural lighting is just usually better you know it just looks nicer especially on a low budget you don't have to mess with that setup as much but i think it probably came with its own challenges because it looks like you're shooting daytime nighttime all these different times how did that go for you well sometimes it worked out well sometimes it didn't and i think that one of the final final changes was actually like a day for night that I was never happy with. You know, I'm like, mm, this is just, mm. it's just it just doesn't it's just not all the way there for me. It's a little bit. There was a scene that was just kind of B. It looked like it, it felt like a B movie because the mm. day for night wasn't working quite right. And so I see. one of the final one of the final changes was was finding a really creative and clever way to fix that. You know, mm. and. And uh, sometimes it took me forever to figure it out, you know, and I was for a long time stumped, you know, but we did. And I think it really worked, but we got lucky. I mean, I'll tell you what I had, like, it was a lot of of really serendipitous stuff that happened on that set Mm. in terms of like weather and timing. And it was like, it was like. God was like following me around, you know, just with his finger, just like moving little things around just to make sure <laughs> to make it barely work. get this film made. Yeah, it was, yeah, really, yeah. It was really interesting, you know, but that's kind of what happens in, in film. I think sometimes, sometimes, you know, uh, it's the opposite 
right? And God's mm-hmm. little fingers moving around and making sure that you're constantly blocked and, and unable to do anything that you plan on doing. And then yeah. the other times it's like, you know, perfect serendipity and and everything works exactly like it needs to to get the film made. And that's pretty much what we had, so. Yeah, I think that's that, that film in general is really interesting. I found, found it fascinating. It seems to be kind of coming together and you'll be able to release it um, pretty soon at this sort of particularly relevant time with that, all these sexual right. assault charges um, kind of swirling right. around the public figures. And, you know, yep. it deals with this hypocrisy in people in a position of power, whether it's religious or political or entertainment industry. So I think, I think in some of your work, like even OMG or something, you have this concept of hypocrisy and you were, did mention, you know, kind of working through some of your own thinking with this film and stuff. Can you talk a little bit more about why that was important to you or how you see it kind of fitting into like the current conversation? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, So, I mean, I think that that's bizarre. I mean, it's Mm. very bizarre how this film, because the film has gotten delayed, like, like I would say probably three years in a row. Like the solution was like just about ready, really close. And then it would get delayed for a pretty big reason. And, Mm. And and there were you know issues that took a long time to solve, and so now it's finally ready to come out. And what's weird is that the culture has like all these major upheavals that are like exactly what the film is about, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's really crazy, interesting. Everything from like what's happening politically to the sexual assault stuff, like the mm-hmm. hypocrisy in the evangelical, you know, Christian uh, religious groups. You know, yeah. It's like, really crazy how much is aligning with this film and mm-hmm. i think in one sense that's probably very good for us because it'll probably be, you know hit some buttons and and get some attention and who could have predicted that you know but i you yeah know, it's interesting because uh jordan jordan peterson i quoted him earlier he's like this he's a phd at university of toronto and he's a big you know name right now in the public sphere because of um he's been on the forefront of, of uh, dealing with sort of uh, freedom of speech issues and mm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, he says that, um, you know, he's a psychologist and he says that uh, artists are the prophets of their culture. Mm. And, and he says that they are, they are like reaching into the dream state to, mm discover things and to create articulated knowledge. Yeah. And so I think on some level, the things that I was struggling with and frustrated with and like really tormented by in uh, in my own semi-subconscious headspace were Mm -hmm. also things that my, you know, the culture at large was feeling the same thing. And, you know, I, I was not alone in that. And so yeah. I made a film and it just so happened that a lot of other people were also in that same space and frustrated in the same ways. And and so it's just a, a kind of aligned. But the thing that was really, that absolution is really about isn't just, you know, sexual assault and, and hypocrisy, although that's a really big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, absolution is actually about religious and secular moralism. Mm-hmm. that's that's what it's really about it try it like the goal for me was to explore moralism both within a religious context and within a non-religious context 
mm. and take moralism to its inevitable conclusion and see if there's anything on the other side. And that's what the film attempts to do. So, yeah, I think that's uh, really fascinating and interesting to me. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Cohn being from oh yeah uh, Chicago yeah, yeah, yeah. land. And I, I don't yeah. like to compare people too much or that you were working on the same concepts. I think he explores some of this idea of religious hypocrisy or um, how authentic people are and also this idea of uh, homosexuality in, you know, in churches and uh, religious groups and things like that. And I think he does it in a pretty uh, authentic and sort of careful way, uh, respectful way, I should say. Uh, yeah. that pays a lot of attention to character. And I, I kind of saw Absolution is a very much more like aggressive <laughs> um, yeah. way of handling yeah. that, uh, which I think is great too. Uh, but I, I just saw some similarities in kind of that exploration uh, coming from that. Because I think for me, like I've met some of the most authentic real people in Christian or religious settings, but also some of the most hypocritical people, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it, totally. And, and I think that that's part of the surprise, like that's part of the surprise of absolution is like, you know, I think that, that, that the trailer really makes you believe I'm going to go one direction. And, mm -hmm. and the discovery, of course, and this was, you know, in the script rewriting process when we got every reader to the point where they were at a stalemate, Mm -hmm. The discovery, I I think, and I hope, it was that all human beings have the same capacity for 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 good and for ill, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and and you and and it's like we got to stop making straw men out of people, and we've got to respect human beings and like look and understand like their context in order to appreciate and value them appropriately and to understand how you know they've come to be the person that they are whether that's a good person or a bad person and that doesn't always excuse people's actions but it's just a reality right. that that you know um you know all human beings are three-dimensional there's no there's mm -hmm. no straw men out there you know so. yeah i mean i think uh without getting too political or anything like the current situation i think mainly in well uh entertainment industry with actors and directors and stuff but also now in politics a little bit but i think uh certainly yeah we have to hold people accountable for their actions but you have to still consider that they are people um right and maybe Correct. are trying to change you know things about themselves or learn about themselves uh and right, we can't right. dismiss that completely you know yeah. right totally exactly right that's exactly it you know there's we got to figure out where's the line to draw within every circumstance and say well you know there's you know people sometimes do need to there does need to be punishment for things and you know and and it depends on the thing you know of course mm -hmm. but but also let's take into context the fact that that change is a constant, right? Yeah. Go back to Heraclitus, you know, people are yeah. growing and changing and dealing with stuff. And like, let's take that into account and let's accelerate that process if we can, as opposed to just mm -hmm. punishing for some draconian reason, you know, let's actually help humanity change and become better as opposed to just finding someone to, to beat down so that we can feel better, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Switching topics slightly, uh, with Absolution, I really appreciated the filmmaking style and 
uh, the cinematography and getting some of those great outdoor shots, but I liked the kind of subtle, like slow moving camera kind of had this creeping feeling on these characters as we sort of see them deteriorate. And then also like the music was very off-putting in a good way. How much of that going in did you plan? Or I guess like what relationship do you have with your cinematographer in in oh, setting yeah. that tone and mood up things like that good question yeah nathan gregory is the cinematographer and he's a whiz and a just a incredible human being and like that he's someone i'll hope to work with you know for a long long time and mm-hmm. and he can endure a tremendous amount of suffering without a single <laughs> complaint i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah uh and he, but uh we had discussed it quite a bit we the technique that i wanted to use was I, I wanted to not get in the way of the actors on mm. a technique that allowed them to carry the scene. Mm. So I was trying to design a lot of oneers where yeah. it's like, you know, here's your first mark, second mark, third mark. And, mm-hmm. and then once the camera and the actors have that little dance down where they're hitting their marks and hitting their focus pulls and stuff like that, then the actors could just carry it. They could just take right. it and just, Mm-hmm. drive that scene you know drive a stake through it you know and and then maybe you get a like little insert here and there or like another angle here and there but for the most right. part i was trying to find what's that one what's the oneer at the core of this that can allow that actors to really um lift off and and take the scene and own it and control it and the slow moving camera i think was is a theme even in my screenplays not that i write in the camera movements but just mm-hmm. I, I try to capture that sense of movement and uh, that's that's the energy that's driving right through the film, you know, and I and I feel like that's part of my personal directorial style is to have the camera mimic the emotional energy of the scene, you know. So. Mm. I was I'm always kind of curious. I ask usually the people that come on the show. Yeah, what's kind of inspiring you these days? Or what are you enjoying? Um, you know, I, I'm, there's more projects or more films, I should say that I'm looking forward to, um, like, 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 I, you know, I, I haven't seen a ton that's new lately that I've been super crazy about, but I, but I am very excited about Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird, Sean Baker's The Florida Project. I can't wait to see, I've been dying to see that for a while. He did Tangerine. You know, he's a real, Eli, he's a real indie guy like us. Right. His story is just like as much of a grind as you can get, you know, yeah, just yeah. really he's fought for it. Like, like, like real indie filmmakers fight for stuff, you know? And, and I think uh, Taylor Sheridan's work is just explosive. Like when, when, when river, I'm looking forward to seeing he did hell or high water and Sicario. I'm excited about wind river. And then, and then in, in TV, I started watching Get Shorty, which my friend Sean Bridgers plays uh, Lewis, one of the leads for that. And it's a really fun show. Um, and it's kind of like got the like drama, but it's actually pretty funny. It's really fun to have something that's a little less intense, you know, mm-hmm. um, to watch before bed. And then, and then my, my good friend, Joshua Overbay, who's now my colleague here at, at Western Carolina University, where, where I teach, um, he's got a film coming out called Luke and Joe that is really turning out to be something special. So I'm excited okay. for that. Cool. Um, is there any particular place people will be able to see that? Is that hitting festivals first or will be online? Yeah, it's festivals first too. So okay. it'll go somewhere. I mean, it'll be widely available, you know, 
at some point. At some point, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Probably in another year or so, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, uh, you know, we hope you know, the hope is always to like open at a pretty big festival. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah, those are all things. Um, some of those films you mentioned that I have not had a chance to see either. We talk a lot on this show. My other usual co-host Jeremy and I have young kids, youngish kids, so we don't get out a lot to theaters. So we kind of have to wait around till yeah. Uh, things same, with, yeah same with me. I mean, yeah. that's, I'm always behind. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, like when River is finally coming out to watch at home, so I, I wanted to check that out too. Uh, yeah, where, where else can people find some of your work or uh, stay informed about Absolution when it's going to be released? Oh, yeah, good call. Good call. Um, so, yeah, uh, so Fancy Pants, I think, is on Amazon, and you can stream that any time. And OMG, you can very Googleable. It's on YouTube and available for anyone to watch. And you can just put in Josh Russell OMG, and it'll come up. And uh, And then Absolution is... Uh, you know, we've got a lot of interest from from some pretty big festivals, although we haven't mm-hmm. officially secured our, our slot yet. So okay, we'll see. We'll see where that goes, but yeah. it'll be out for sure. It'll be out at some point next year, so we're pretty excited. Cool, cool. Yeah the the festival thing is always a long process of <laughs> unknowns, and it's a yeah. it's a delay for the independent filmmaker who's like everybody's yep. waiting for the film to finally get done and it gets done and they're like oh they're so excited and you're like no we've got another year waiting to find out like <laughs> which festival we're going to open you know yeah exactly so it's forth. like sorry i can't show it to everybody yeah <laughs> just totally publicly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah so so it'll be out there and we yes we have like a you know a facebook page that's mostly dormant at the moment but it'll, <laughs> it'll get act- active again here pretty soon and and uh, certainly you'd be able to um, keep up. You can go like our page, and then you know once the announcements start landing, then you'll be notified. So Here, Marva. cool. Um, yeah, I'll link to some of those sites in the show notes. But thanks for being on the show, Joshua. It was a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. I really yeah. appreciate it. It was really fun. Yeah.